Let's read our text this morning before we dive into it. But uh, then, So let's read our text real fast. Let's go to James chapter 5 here at the end of the book, starting in verse 19. James is kind of writing uh, his final words here for us. And he says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, Now, instead of showing you a video, I wanted to tell a quick story about uh, a moment in my life where I experienced this in a different way than a church setting. But I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and later in life, I got got into duck hunting. I met a few duck hunters after the first service. I was excited to connect with them. Um, But duck hunting uh, can be a little dangerous. You wear uh, these things called waders. It gets really cold, and it's basically just a big plastic uh, boot basically and it can be dangerous water can get in there pull you down under the water uh and you there they are there's some waiters for you um and you can perish i've had a few i've known people who've actually uh died this way from not understanding how far they were out water coming rushing in and pulls you down so uh duck hunting is really fun but it can be dangerous and i remember one morning we We're going, me and two other guys, and we had a friend who had gotten a boat for us to go duck hunting. Now, getting a boat's really fun. Uh, If you're, like, poor like I was, uh, we didn't have a boat. You would just have to walk, like, miles and miles, what felt like miles and miles, carrying all the stuff you got to carry. It's just really long. So we wake up one morning at 3.30 in the morning, which is why, I don't know, to go out and chase down ducks. But we got up to do it, and my friend says, hey, I got a boat for us. I've already put the boat at the place, so I'll come pick y'all up, and we'll get there. So he comes and picks us up. We get out there, and the word boat uh, was probably a little too favorable. It was basically a John boat. I don't know if you've ever done any boating, but it's the weight capacity on a John boat is about 250 pounds. Now, I was a little slimmer than I am now, um, but there were three men and tons of equipment. So we were we're definitely over the 250 pound limit. So we put it into the water and I remember another hunter who was there and he said, hey, I don't know if I would do that. Um, but we were 20, right? So we knew everything there was to know about anything. And we were like, oh yeah, we'll be fine. We'll just be really still, right? So we all get in the boat and literally like we go down and I mean, the water is like right up to the lip of the boat. I mean, it is, I mean, you're like sprawled out trying to keep balance. So we set off and real quick, it hits me the reality of this was not smart. Uh, If this water pours in this boat and I have these waders on, this could be really bad news. So we're going down the creek and I am praying like I have never prayed before in my life. Like, Lord, I do not want to die. This is an incredibly stupid way to go. Please keep me safe. Please, please. Like, you know, you're like begging, trying to act cool, but you're like begging on the inside. Lord, please don't. So we're going down, we kind of see the spot, we turn, and then sure enough, as we turn, we get the thing off, and then here comes the water, and then I'm like, well, this is it, this is a big one. Um, So, you know, we dump over, luckily, praise God, we're in like three feet of water, right? So we get up, and we just take off our stuff, and we look like idiots on the bank, but we did not die, but we could have, we really could have, and it probably would have been wise for us to listen to this other gentleman who mentioned to us, hey, baby, that's not the best idea. And that's kind of what James is talking about here at the end of his book. 
This is a unique book in the New Testament as we've been talking about our sermon series, James. It's wisdom. It's wisdom literature. He's talking about how to live life in the in-between. And here at the end of the book, it's different than all the other letters, right? Usually when a New Testament writer finishes a letter, he gives some personal instruction, some, hey, thank this brother or sister. I miss you guys. James just kind of cuts it short. Why? I think he's doing that because he wants us to participate in the letter. If you've read the end of the book of Mark, it just kind of ends and you're thinking, oh, well, what happens? What do we do? I think that's what James is doing for us here. He wants us to participate, to know the most important thing. So let's do that this morning. Let's walk through the book. Let's be bold enough to believe that God can speak to us through his word. Let's go on a trip. Let's look at the words. Let's walk through it. And then at the end, bring some application to it. Look at how he starts off right here. And this is important because it gives us kind of the context for how to live the way of wisdom. He says this, my brothers and sisters. This tips us off that this is written for believers. This is written for people who are inside the church. And he says this, if any among you, now that's interesting. He doesn't say uh, if any outside of you, although we know we should share our faith with other people, we know we should talk about Jesus. But here he's saying, if any among you, any who are part of the church, part of the family, if, they want, if any among you wanders from the truth. Now, as I was reading that this week, something really perked up in my mind. He doesn't say, okay, hey, pastor, you're safe, right? You're a pastor, dude. You, you went to seminary. You're good. But if any of these normal folks start to wonder, this is what you need. No, he doesn't say, he doesn't say hey, elders, you guys make the decisions. You guys are spiritual leaders. You're okay if, if any of the normal people, right? Hey, deacons, if any of the people you serve, a small group. No, he says, if any among you. Seems to be that we are all in danger in some way of wandering from the truth. I mentioned last time I preached, and I know all of you have that sermon, put the memory, and it was just an epic part of your life story. But I remember I mentioned that sometimes we give ourselves too much credit. We think we are the masters of our destiny. We control our lives. Uh, you know, if we want to wonder from God, we can. If we want to stay super close to God, we're self-sufficient. We can do that on our own. But what this verse here at the beginning indicates is that we are creatures. It would be good for us to remember that, that we are just simple creatures trying our best to make it through life. We have so many needs, so many desires, so many things that call out to us. And it's easy to find oneself wondering from the truth. Now, an interesting note on that word wondering, not to get lost in Greek vocabulary, although if you're an English major or you love grammar, this is your time to shine right here. It's written in something called the passive voice, that word wondering. Basically, all that means is that there's something on the outside that is causing the wondering. The wondering isn't just happening by the brothers and sisters' volition, right? Oh, I'm just going to wake up one day. No, there's something outside that's acting, that's pulling. Very rarely do we wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm out of here. Newsflash, you're not smart enough to do that. (laughs) And you're not powerful enough to do that. Instead, there's a whole entire world 
that is calling out to us, inviting us to wander away. And that's a lot of what the book of James is about. That's what he is talking about. Remember, he's talking about you're under persecutions. Be careful when you're under persecution. Watch what you say. Don't judge people. Be careful about riches. Don't show favoritism, right? He's showing all these examples. Don't be angry. Things that can pull us and cause us to wander away. I find it interesting that James does contain some doctrine, but it's not mostly doctrine. Mostly what James is wondering or warning us about all through the book is a moral wondering, actions and habits, responses to life that don't just yank us out of line and put us somewhere else that ever slowly chip away and pull and pull and pull. I've been a pastor for many years now and very rarely does someone, I think, wonder away because they locked themselves in a library and read 50 theology books. It doesn't happen. It happens As James says in James chapter 1, listen. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. What this whole book has been saying the whole time is that wondering starts often in our hearts and in our hands before it even gets to our minds. I know uh, there's, this happens to me, right? This has happened in my life. And usually the last thing to go is my mind, right? Usually I'm already involved in something else, living a certain way, ignoring some kind of biblical commandment. And then I realize it, and then what do I do? I begin to play the mental gymnastics game, right? Well, I'm a pastor. I do so many good things for God. I'm sure God could give me this one thing, right? Like I got, I, a friend of mine called it ministry righteousness, for me, right? Oh Lord, I'm a pastor. I'm with people all day. I'm praying all day. I'm doing all this stuff. Surely it's a, you'll forgive me if I just have this one thing. The mental thing is always, oftentimes, the last thing to go. Let's look at a scenario, okay? Okay, that sounds great. What does this really mean? Let's give a scenario in the book of James that I think plays out, especially in the West, more often than we'd like to admit. Let's talk about riches for a moment. Now, I highly doubt Satan or the world is going to show up at your doorstep and say, hey, um, widows and orphans, who cares about them, dude? Who cares? You shouldn't think about widows and orphans. They're horrible. Survival of the fittest. If they can't figure it out, that's on them. It doesn't really happen that way. What? How does it happen? Well, it plays out oftentimes like this. Hey, you know what? You're way too busy to check in on widows and orphans. You got too much going on to worry about that. That, 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 You got a church for that. That's what the elders do. That's what the deacons do. You don't have time to do that. You know what you need to be focused on is that business trip you got coming up next week. You really got to nail that presentation because you got to get that raise. Because, you know, you got to get your wife that new Lexus or you got to get that new iPhone or, you know, your kids can't go to, I mean, Lord, they can't go to public school, right? I mean, you got to keep up with the Joneses. You got to. That's usually how it happens. I know, example I've shared many times, right? 
Um, you're probably all better parents than me. You don't get frustrated at your children like I do, right? Satan doesn't come to me and say, man, you know, when you go home, you should just blow up on your kids. You know, they really deserve it. No, what happens is I get home and I'm like, I just want to be left alone. And then a kid yells and then what I end up yelling back, right? Yeah, your kids should behave better, right? God, they should know better by now. No, you know, it's usually how it happens. It's not this, this bland thing. It's a slow pull away. But James does, to be fair, give examples of wandering away from the truth in regards to doctrine. James reminds us all throughout the book that what we believe about God is important and has consequences. James chapter 1 verse 12. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one when tempted should say, so here's some doctrine about what we think about God. I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted and then he continues to go on when he talks about moral wondering, right? So we, we shouldn't, we got to know what we believe about God and it needs to be true. James gives us a ton of those examples throughout the book. And what James is trying to hammer home here at the end, I find it so interesting. Most of the book, he's, he's talking to individuals, he's addressing individual things. And even here at the end, he's, he's talking to individuals, but he brings in a more corporate sense of it. And the reality is that this, we are responsible for one another. We are, in fact, our brother's keeper and our sisters as well. We who call rooftop family cannot stand idly by while we witness a brother or sister kind of drift away. We need other people in our lives. This is really hard for people in the United States, people in the West to hear. We are all about, and it's important to be about these things, individual responsibility. If that person makes a decision and goes on their own, that's their individual decision. I have no, that, that's on them. That's not what James is saying here. It's hard for us to hear that we owe other people something or that we are not as self-sufficient as we think we are. It's verses like these that remind me that things like church membership around here, we call it fourth floor. We have four ways of getting plugged in that kind of lead you into church membership. That things like church membership and being accountable to one another are not optional. By church, I mean people. Verses like this remind me that my brothers and sisters in my life is not just Advice for the really good Christians, it's a matter of life and death for every human being. So if that's what James is calling us to do, how do we do that? My biggest concern in preaching this is that some Christians will hear this message and feel emboldened to become like the rooftop secret police who will, you know, check every Facebook post you make, check out every book you read, eavesdrop on your conversations, looking for ways that they can call you out for the smallest little infraction. That's really what I was wrestling through when I wrote this. 
But then I remembered Galatians chapter 6. And he gives us an understanding of how to live this life. How to have these kind of conversations with one another. Listen to what Paul says. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression... Sounds like wandering from the truth. You who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in the spirit of proper doctrine in your seminary degree. Oh, sorry, no. In a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. A spirit of gentleness is required to have these sort of conversations. In fact, I would say that if you are uh, excited about having these kind of conversations, that's probably a sign that you shouldn't be having these kind of conversations. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Close, similar word to the word gentleness. For they shall inherit the world. Gentle spirit of gentleness, meekness. That is the world that awaits us. Think about what James says in chapter 3. He writes this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter and envy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not be boastful and false to the truth. There's that word again. This verse kind of hit me a little more this week as I was rehearsing it and reading back over it. If you do things in a spirit of gentleness, like have these kind of conversations, the Bible says you're wise. If you're not having these kind of conversations out of wisdom, out of gentleness... The Bible says you're doing it out of envy, selfishness, and thus you are false to the truth. How you do things matters. Imagine a brother or sister is reading maybe some book you don't approve of or listening to some pastor you don't approve of. Maybe you need to have a conversation with them. But listen, if you don't do it in a spirit of gentleness then you're just as wrong as they are. And not just as wrong as they are, you might be on a similar path. Maybe you're bitter envy, you want to be seen a certain way, you want to be seen as the smart person, you want all the attention. Maybe that is slowly pulling you down a similar matter. So that's scary, right? That's hard. Yet the work must be done. We have to love each other enough To warn each other. Because, in verse 20, James says this, You should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That's incredible. What an incredible promise. Think about this. If you are loving and gentle enough to have these conversations, God will use you to... Save someone's soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's incredible. A few things though. When when James mentions soul here, he's not just talking about this ethereal part of you that's going to drift away to the sweet by and by when you die. He's talking about the totality of who you are, body and spirit. 
Thus he writes in James chapter 1, Receive with meekness, there's that word again, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If you read through the book of Acts, Luke in particular uses the word saved a lot, not just to talk about souls that drift away, but save your, to save your body. The Bible talks about salvation in a much more expansive way than simply going to heaven when you die. When we have these conversations, we save people. And the scripture says, we'll cover a multitude of sins. I believe this does refer to sins that have yet to occur. Think about when someone's life is so radically altered by the gospel, when it's so radically altered by the love of the church. A quiet, meek, loving conversation where someone gets brought back. How profound and how life-changing is that? That covers a multitude of sins that were probably coming down the pipe. Think about bad relationships maybe you've been in when someone's come and said, hey, man, I love you. I don't know if this is wise. It, tra- it changes the trajectory. It alters the trajectory of people's lives simply by having these loving conversations. So James is, in, is strongly encouraging us to look out for one another. And that is scary, I have to admit. Especially if you're new this morning. Maybe you're kind of peeking over the fence at Christianity. You're checking it out. This might seem like kind of scary and cultish, right? To think that, uh, are, are people going to be, if I become like a fourth floor person, or if I'm like in there, like, are, are people going to be like running around, checking in in my private life, making moral judgments on how I live? That sounds a little cultish. But James is calling us to be a community, right? Not a cult, a community. That takes responsibility for mutually restoring one another. So what does that look like on a Monday? That's a good question to ask. What does that look like on a Monday? Well, your first thought shouldn't be, well, I can't wait. Let me, you know, get out the hit list and write down all the people that I need to call and warn next week. I don't think that would be the best place to start. For most of us, it should start with this simple question. Am I sufficiently well known by other people that they would feel the freedom to speak into my life when it becomes necessary? That should be the first question every single person asks. Do I have people in my life who will speak into it when necessary? That's, a, just a, that's one of the reasons why we have church membership, fourth floor, that we would open up our lives to one another in such a way that we can be warned when we start to sway morally or doctrinally. Now, just because you're on the fourth floor doesn't mean, oh, well, I'm on the fourth floor. I got, you know, the card. So if something bad happens, I just flash it and I'm all good. No, you have to open up your life. The reality is that Some of us have isolated ourselves. Some of us have closed ourselves off to others. You've shut down access to your life and to your heart, and you are accountable to no one but yourself. If that's you, then sermons like this probably sound really scary. Now, maybe there's 
There's two things there. Maybe one, maybe there's understandable reasons for that. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe a pastor was cruel. Maybe church elders were horrible. Maybe a person in church gossiped about you. Maybe you've put yourself out there and you've gotten hurt and crushed. This is scary. That is scary. I want to encourage you that that's okay. You can't live there forever. You can't live isolated. But it's okay to recognize that and to say community is really hard for me. And this is why. But there's another category of people. And you've cut yourself off, not because of stuff that's happened, but simply you just want to be left alone. You want to show up on Sunday, enjoy the service, but you have no desire to contribute to the life of the spiritual family at Rooftop. And you have even less desire for anyone to be involved in your life and to know what's going on. This is what I would say to you. If that's you, if you just come in here and you say, I don't care about any of these people. I just want to do the service. Please don't talk to me. Whatever. Please know this. There's nothing anyone can do about that other than you. Also know this. We're going to honor your decision here at Rooftop. We're not going to move mountains to pry into your life. I'm not going to coerce you into getting in a community. But I will do this. I will lovingly plead with you to let someone into your life. If not here at Rooftop, then somewhere else. That sounds crazy, right? What pastor tells people to go to another church. I don't want you to go to another church. I want you to trust. Because everyone I've met here, I know I've only been here two months, wait, three has been so welcoming and friendly and open and honest. We're even doing a sermon series on how I might lose my faith, right? I think we welcome in this kind of struggling and wondering. So my hope is that you can be open here. Maybe you want to talk to an elder or a pastor. Do that. But if you can't do that here, don't come here for 20 years and just sit in the back and not get involved. Find somewhere where you can be known. Why? Because James tells us it's a matter of life and death. The most disturbing part about that is that oftentimes we're unaware that we're even on that path, right? If we knew we were being led towards death and destruction, we'd get out of the way. But we need people outside of us to talk to us, to be in our lives. This isn't just about choices you make this is about literal life and death. So let me ask everyone in this room a critical question. To, and I had to look up how to say that, to whom are you accountable? I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about the worship team, myself, Pastor Matt, all the other. Who, whom are you accountable to? Who knows you well enough that they could even detect something is wrong in your life? Who are the men and women in this local church who you have authorized and empowered to have those kind of conversations with you? Another way that uh, we used to talk about it in Texas, our pastor used to call our former pastor used to say it this way, who have you given a hunting license to in regard to your life? Whom have you sat down with and said, look, I need the safety and encouragement 
And even the rebuke of other Christians, should I start to go astray. I'm asking you, I'm authorizing you to bring to my attention anything you might see that might be of concern. Please don't let me wander from the truth. I give you complete freedom and the right to ask me any questions that need to be asked. I know, okay, that is scary. I know that is scary. But that's a question you have to ask. And if you sit here and you think, there's no way in the world I would ever wonder from the truth. That's impossible. I listen to theology podcasts. I watch... John Piper, I listened to Ask Pastor John. Like, I, like, there's no way I could possibly wonder from the truth. Then my prayer for you this morning and for myself is that we would come to understand how what James would say that's indescribably naive and arrogant to believe. Even, Paul, even Peter, book of Galatians, Peter had to be rebuked by Paul. Paul had to have a conversation with him about decisions he had made. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, anyone who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he falls. I don't preach this sermon to uh, create some kind of fear in you. My hope is that as I preach this sermon, you can say, I don't necessarily have to worry about that because there's so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. There's my elder. There's my pastor. There's my small group leader. There's my friend. There's my... But if you can't say that, my hope is that you will understand that we as a staff, we as a church leadership, every person who calls rooftop home will do everything in our power, or should I say in the power of the Holy Spirit, to help you get involved in community here at Rooftop. We will do everything possible to be a biblical and compassionate and honest and loving community that will help you become a more vibrant and, here's a scary word, vulnerable member of this spiritual community. Now, I didn't get to say this to the last service, so you get an extra nugget here. There's a difference between being transparent and vulnerable. Okay, transparent is you put like a, a, imagine a big glass cube over yourself and you say, you go to small group and you say, you know what, here's all my struggles. I'm frustrated at my spouse. Um, You know, I'm not really praying. I'm not really doing anything. But when someone reaches out to like really help and like they want to touch that broken part, they just, they hit a glass wall, right? You're good at talking about all the things, but you're not going to let anyone in. That's what being transparent is. What we want to move people to is to be a vulnerable, where there's no more glass thing, where you can say, my marriage is in trouble, and someone can reach in and touch that broken spot. Where, you can, where someone can come to you and say, dude, you yell at your kids a lot. You're pretty overbearing, it seems like. And they can reach into that broken place and say, well, you know what? Yeah, probably because that's how I was talked to. That's the community we're trying to make. And we're trying to 
make you into that kind of vulnerable person. Now, here's my promise. That's scary. Here's my promise. I'm a pretty laid back guy. That's my wife. I think I'm pretty chill. Um, I don't get angry a lot. Um, few things, right? My fantasy football team not doing well. That angers me if I don't win. Um, I make a bad decision in Dungeons and Dragons. That, you know, I get a little angry at myself for that. One thing that really makes me really angry, though, are legalistic, overbearing, judgmental Christians. It, it's really hard for me, okay? Now the Lord gives me grace. But we will do all that we can to silence those people. Because that's what destroys a church. It's not the sin, right? It's not the wondering. It's not the thing that destroys it. Oftentimes it's the responses to it. Instead of someone saying, oh man, you know, I'm doing this, this horrible thing, or I'm in this lifestyle, we should look at these people and say, yeah, brother, me too. Maybe mine manifests in a different way, right? But me too. Instead of, oh, how dare you? How could you? How do we create that environment? How do we create a church that is open for those kind of conversations to happen? Well, I heard something many years ago, and it has rung with me and stuck with me. And it's creating an environment that is marked by three things. Gospel plus safety plus time. And I want to read these to you real quick. By gospel, this is what we mean. Good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. Multitude of exposures, constant immersion, wave upon wave of grace and truth according to the Bible. Safety. What is safety? It's a, it's a word our culture uses a lot, right? What is safety? It's a non-accusing environment. We're not going to embarrass anyone. We're not going to corner anyone. We're not going to shame anyone. But respect and sympathy and listening and understanding. I don't, like newsflash here. Uh, this sounds a lot like be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But we'll continue here. A church environment where no one seeking the Lord has anything to fear. And then finally, time. No pressure. Not even self-imposed pressure. No deadlines on growth. Now you might think, Jeremy, I thought you said we need to warn each other, right? How do you, time, what, what does that mean? It means that there is urgency, but not hurry. Because, why? No one changes quickly. I'm 40 years old. The amount of Even the smallest things I've had to change in my life, the Lord has been so gracious. A lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. Why? God is patient. God is patient. It's kind of what we're hoping to do with our six reasons series, right? Let's say someone stumbles in, they're a non-believer, they go, well, I don't believe that. Well, we're not going to say, well, you're a dummy. You're going to hell. See ya. Peace out. (laughs) No. We're going to give them those things. Because that's what it takes to change people. Before we finish and pray, I'm reminded of Desmond Tutu. Passed away uh, last night. 
and how he was faithful to show the way of Jesus in his own life, and it rippled out into an entire country. If you're familiar with South Africa and the work of Desmond Tutu, you know that he came to leadership in a, after apartheid and just years of systemic oppression and destruction and evil and wickedness. And he modeled the way of Jesus to an entire country and said, we're not going to retaliate. We're not going to punish them as they deserve to be punished. We're going to create safe spaces for even the people who persecuted other people to come and talk about it. They didn't just let them off the hook, but they didn't punish them to the full extent that they could. He created a whole country to help create a space for that. And my prayer is that we will do that amongst us here at Rooftop. Let us pray before we sing. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, now as we turn our attention to singing, Lord, give us your spirit that we might respond to your word, Lord. Lord, those of us who are in this room that find ourselves trapped because of church hurt or trauma or just horrible things that have happened, Lord, I pray that you would help them take steps to healing, help them take steps to be able to name that broken thing that happened to them. But Lord, if there be among us any of us who are not accountable, we don't have relationships, we're by ourselves. And in reality, we are dying inside. Would you give us courage? Lord, even as we sing, may we bring that broken thing to you and give it to you. And Lord, may you show us a beautiful picture of your body, of a community that will... Welcome each other in with loving arms. We know that that would be much for our good, but ultimately be for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.